We have looked at God's forgiveness of us, our forgiving of others, and our forgiving of self. And today we explore what are the limits? Where is the line drawn? The reading is from Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. And his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We, paid, we, we prayed it once again today, even if maybe we weren't paying attention and we were just going through the motions and we were mumbling, but that's what we pray every week, that God would forgive us. And in the history of the church, Christianity, during the season of Lent, we sort of up the ante. We talk more about confessing our sins and always with the assurance that God forgives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that all our sins are forgiven? Imagine a continuum. On one end... Uh, Single mother, what if she's working at home during COVID and the kids are at home and she is trying and she is losing it and she says a harsh word, will God forgive her? A nine-year-old boy steals a Snickers bar from the quick trip, will God forgive him? A business person cheats on their taxes, does God forgive? A husband, a wife cheats on their spouse? A drug deal goes bad and someone commits murder. Will God forgive that person? And what if Putin commits crimes against humanity? Will God forgive? That is, in essence, the question Peter asks, the limits of forgiveness. Because if at any place on the continuum you say, yes, well, yes, and at any other place you say, I no, I don't think so then where do you draw the line? And how did you figure that out? 
I hope you brought your thinking cap with you, not just because this topic is heavy, but because this text is a parable. That's just a Greek word for riddle. In many ways, the parables of Jesus are like those eighth grade word problems in math class. You know, a train leaves Chicago at 7 p.m. traveling 30 miles an hour, and another one 15 minutes later going 35 miles an hour. What time will it be? In the eighth grade, I could solve for X, not anymore. But here's the thing. With the parables of Jesus, there are these twists. And all of a sudden he says, so which conductor loves God and neighbor more? And you're like, what? where did that come from? You can't solve for that. The parables of Jesus are riddles, and they, they just throw us for loops. So allow me to retell this one, filling in some gaps from the Greek along with some creative license. So once upon a time, that's not in the Greek, but good stories start that way, there was this king who wished to settle accounts, and this fellow was brought before the king. That's the language of the text. So maybe you can picture a guard on each side holding his elbows. Maybe he's handcuffed, shackled, I don't know. The guy owes 10,000 talents. It's not possible. It's not possible. This is this is hyperbole. The entire income of the Roman Empire was 600 talents. This is like saying the guy owes a gazillion dollars. And so the king, seeing how this isn't, you know, there's no way, he's about to sell him off along with his wife and kids and their possessions, and the guy falls to his knees. And owing, well, forever amount, he says, well, have patience with me, and I'll pay you back. And that's when I picture the king and everybody in the court just cracking up. Scholars estimate it would take 150,000 years for this guy to pay off the debt. But he says, well, you know, have patience with me. I, I can pay you back. But the king has something better in mind. He forgives the debt, wipes it away, and releases the man who suddenly weighs 10 pounds less. That's not in the Greek, but I'm just imagining that the burden on his shoulders, it's gone. But before he gets out of the place, the text says as he was leaving, he runs into a fellow slave who owes him a few thousand bucks. And he puts him in a chokehold and he says, pay me what you owe. And the guy gets down on his knees, which should sound familiar. And he says, well, have patience with me and I'll pay you, which should also sound familiar. But this slave, will have nothing to do with patience or forgiveness. He throws him into debtor's prison. Well, word gets back to the king. He's not happy. He summons the slave. He comes back. He calls him a wicked slave. He says, I had mercy on you. How could you not have had mercy? And then whatever it is kings do, you know, like, or some motion, the guy gets thrown in debtor's prison, and he's still there because it's for 150,000 years. Wow, that's the parable. The context in Matthew 18 is about forgiveness within the life of the church, but I feel very confident that it extends beyond that to everything from Snickers bars to crimes against humanity. And Peter's question, which gets it started, is a really good one. How many times do I have to forgive? Up to seven? which turns out to be incredibly generous on his part. Because seven in the Bible 
is the number of perfection or completion. Peter, in essence, says, do I have to have a perfect track record when it comes to forgiving others? And the Greek that Jesus answered is kind of tricky. Some say 77, some say it's 70 times 7, but Jesus isn't interested in math. He tells a story, the one we heard. And I want to suggest two interpretations, totally different, both powerful and both kind of problematic in a way. The first one you know. In the first one, this king forgives debts, and, and it's in response to Peter's question. But, but think about what happens. Peter says, how many times do I have to keep forgiving? In a way, Peter kind of sees himself as the king in the parable. You know, like how many times do people have to come before me and I keep forgiving them? But the parable won't let Peter play that role. Peter and every one of us play the role of the first slave. And forgiven much, crazy much, we are enjoined to forgive others, and it's small in comparison. Which means that that person at work who spread a rumor and got you fired unfairly, you're going to have to work to forgive them. It's work. And when you were in junior high and that person at the church, maybe even a minister, said something that crushed your spirit and questioned your relationship with God, and you have felt it ever since, you're going to have the hard work to do of forgiving. And all because, in comparison, God's forgiveness is huge. It's limitless. Only it's not. <laughs> I mean, did you hear it in the parable? God forgives all of that debt and then takes it back. Throws him in jail. Says you got to pay it back. Well, what happened to 70 times 7? Does God not have to do this? It, does God forgive everything there is, 10,000 talents, except when we're not forgiving of others? Is that the one thing God doesn't forgive? That's why I'm really drawn to the second interpretation. And the second one says, well, what if the king is a king, not God? You know how kings are. They can forgive debt if they want, and they can take it back. What are you going to do about it? He's the king. I mean, what if the first guy was one of his oligarch buddies anyway? He can do whatever he wants. What if this parable is a contrast between the empire of Rome and the empire of God? You see, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's no reason to think of kings as God. The first king you, you encounter in the Gospel of Matthew, it's Herod. When Jesus is born, he slaughters the baby boys in Bethlehem. When his son, another king Herod, takes the throne, he beheads John the baptizer. There's no reason to think of this guy as God. He's a king. In the Gospel of Matthew, God is a heavenly father. That's the one we pray to, which makes us not slaves, but children and therefore siblings with each other. It's a problematic interpretation as well, but probably the chief problem with it is wrapping our minds around the idea of a God who truly forgives everything. That's why I really appreciate Miroslav Volf's little book, Free of Charge. Carl and I have both referenced it the last couple of weeks. 
Everybody should read it. If you can, it's an amazing book. Here's, for instance, what he says at one point. He says, most people fall into one of two categories when they think of God. There's either the doting grandfather or the unrelenting judge. And the doting grandfather says, you know, it's just a, it's just a candy bar. He's just a little boy. He didn't, you know, what's the harm? Pat, pat. But the unrelenting judge says, uh-huh. You let a kid steal a candy bar, it's just a matter of time before he cheats on his taxes and his spouse. Sins have to be paid for, period, end of story. And Wolf says that torn between mercy and judgment, and God feels both of these things, God chooses a third option. God takes the loss. God suffers the consequence. So let's be clear. If a woman is in a relationship where she is being abused, she should get out of there as fast as she can, and she should press charges, and if he is found guilty, he should serve time. And if Putin invades Ukraine and commits crimes against humanity, targeting innocent civilians, he should face charges, crimes against humanity. And that means that you and I, and it is really hard for me to say this, and the people of Ukraine will have the incredibly hard work of forgiving, or not. It's totally up to us. But in the realm of God's grace, torn between mercy and judgment, God takes the penalty and releases and forgives. So I have a parable of my own. It's a quirky one. It's a contrast parable like the one here. See what you think. My son told me about this. Apparently, and there is, there's a website. There's a website for everything. This one is where you spend Jeff Bezos money. Jeff Bezos is the founder of Amazon. He's worth $200 billion. And so you go online and you can put anything you want in the shopping cart that's there, as many items as you want. So I went on this week. So my wife and I, we have three kids, their spouses, six grandkids. There are 14 of us, and I didn't want to leave anybody out. So I purchased 14 of all these things. Everybody needs a car, so we got 14 Lamborghinis at half a million apiece. Everybody needs a place to live, so I bought New York condos at 80 million apiece, 14 of them in the cart. How are you going to get to New York? You need a jet. I bought 14 private jets at $65 million each. But we're not selfish people, so I made contributions to charity on behalf of all 14 of us. We gave $200 million each. Just for fun, I bought 14 space shuttles. Those go for $1.7 billion. I bought 14 golf courses. I hope to play all of them. And everybody, just for the heck of it, got an antique painting. And at the bottom, I put it all in the cart, and I had spent one-fifth of his assets. You can't spend his money. Well, I mean, you could, you know, like maybe, somehow, someday. But the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, you can't outdo it. 
It's limitless. It never stops. So I went around this week asking people, do you think God will forgive Putin? I asked strangers, I asked people on the golf course, I asked guys at the coffee shop, I asked family, friends, everybody. I asked, what do you think? Will God forgive Putin? Fascinating, fascinating responses. My favorite, though, was from Tully. Some of you maybe know Tully. She works in the office suite where Carl and I work. Monday morning, I came in. I said, here's the topic. What do you think? Will God forgive Putin? She hesitated, which is totally understandable. She sighed, and she said, yeah, probably. 